Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 800 with Bert Rappaport. There's nothing more important than how, pe- how people feel, especially people that are working so hard for you. The least I could do is to help them in any way I can. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Restaurant owners know it can be almost impossible to keep everything up to date, even making adjustments on your menu. And I know it's probably one of the most important marketing tools out there, if not the most important marketing tool. That's why I'm so happy to introduce to you Pop Menu, the restaurant tool to turn more first-time guests into regulars. Pop Menu seriously is the full digital solution for independent restaurant owners. When you invest in Pop Menu, you get a dynamic interactive menu that hooks your customers from the start. And let me tell you, they really do love that review feature. You get a mobile-friendly website, and I cannot stress to you enough how many people miss the importance of a solid website. And you also get marketing and integrations to build long-lasting relationships with your guests. What are you waiting for? As you can see, PopMenu gives restaurateurs all the tools they need to put the focus back on what matters the most, the people and the food. Trust me, if you are a restaurant owner, you need to check out Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. For a limited time only, my listeners get $100 off their first month plus an unchanging lifetime rate. Go to popmenu.com slash unstoppable. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And Seven Shifts is trusted by over 400,000 restaurant professionals because it gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.sevenshifts.com. Slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Procter and Gamble Professional provides a wide range of cleaning and disinfectants for your business needs. Get the cleaning and disinfecting products you need and the peace of mind you deserve. Not only does Procter & Gamble Professional make you cleaner, it also makes you more efficient. Donald Professional Pot and Pan cleans 58% more pots and pans than the leading competitor. Donald Professional, it's clean upgraded. What up, Unstoppables? we got a great show for you today. A quick reminder, please support this podcast. You can use our sponsors. You can check out our affiliates. And you can spread the word about this sucker to anybody who's aspiring to be great in the industry. The mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. We won't do it unless people know about this thing. So get it out there. Uh, and thank you in advance for sharing this thing. So today, we are talking to a third-generation restaurateur, Bert Rappaport, who started his career in New York City, where his family owned and operated a successful kosher dairy restaurant for 50 years. Rappaport today 
president of Rappaport's restaurant group in Boca Raton, Florida, has led an impressive legacy in South Florida restaurants for over three decades. Rappaport is recognized for his dedication to providing high quality cuisine for a good value, a warm and welcoming ambiance, and a truly attentive service at all of his restaurants. Rappaport is an industry leader revered for his progressive vision, management style, and hospitality expertise. He holds the title of 2017 Power Leader in Hospitality and 2016 South Florida Ultimate CEO by the South Florida Business Journal and 2008 Business Leader of the Year by Boca Raton's Chamber of Commerce, 2007's Restaurant Tour of the Year by Gold Life Boca, Gold Coast and Palm Beach magazines. And he has won numerous readers choice awards for Boca Raton magazine for each of his restaurant concepts, including favorite restaurant, best service, best business lunch, best dining entertainment and best fine dining and best outdoor dining. And honestly, this just begins to scratch the surface as far as the recognition he's gotten. Uh, but with no further ado, here it is. Burt Rappaport. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, president of Rappaport Restaurant Group, Inc., Bert Rappaport. My man, Bert, are you feeling unstoppable today? Let's do this. I am. <laughs> yes, I cannot wait. And I, I'm excited for today's conversation. You spent your entire career in the restaurant industry. Uh, I go, Going back as far as I see, 1980s is when you were in Florida, but even before that with your family, uh, and you've got incredible notoriety throughout Florida for the, the accomplishments you've had. And just nationwide, really. So I know this is going to be a great episode, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? My quote of the day is, the answer is yes. Now, what is the question? The answer is yes. Now, what is the question? I love that. Why did you choose that to start off today? Because we're in the hospitality industry, and I want to find ways to say yes to people. Yes. I love it. Great way to get started. Um, how do you find the? How do you say yes when clearly the answer is no? And I feel like that's something that's really happening a lot right now, and you're seeing it everywhere in social media. People complaining about how just unreasonable the consumer is being, how how unreasonable guests are being off the heels of COVID nineteen. How how do you approach when you want to say yes, but you know that it's just the answer has got to be no? Well. We try to find options for people. Mm. And if, we, if an hourly employee can't find a way to say yes, we get a manager involved. And the manager tries to think creatively. Yeah. If somebody wants to come in at 7 o'clock on a Saturday night with four people and we're totally booked, we say, well, how, could you come in you know, the following Saturday or, or tomorrow night? Or yeah. how about you know, 6.30 or could I put you on the waiting list? Yeah. Or something that I've heard, I've heard other people say, if, if you if somebody wants something that you can't provide, then don't say, no, you can't have that. Say, we can't give you that. However, here are some other options. You know, like help that person beyond just no. You know, no. However, here's, here's where you can find what you're looking for. You know, what, what do you think about that? Well, I think that's good. But I think going the extra mile yeah. is what really blows people away i won't i will not and, argue against that <laughs> you have to try to astonish your guests yes and a good example of that was i had a restaurant that and a guest came in and asked for diet ginger ale okay 
And we, of course, you know, how many restaurants have diet ginger ale? (laughs) If any. So my hostess went down to the supermarket, bought a bottle and came back and we served it to that guest. That's, That's an example. That's a perfect example right there of just going above and beyond. I love that. So where does it make sense to start sharing your story? Because I know you're third generation restaurateur, correct? I am. So let's give a little, pay a little homage to your ancestors. You got it. So my grandfather opened a restaurant on the Lower East Side of Manhattan in 1923. Okay. And it closed in 1973. So 50 years. Wow. And my dad worked with my grandfather. And I was literally born in a restaurant because we lived above the restaurant. We lived upstairs. So we had most of our family meals in my grandfather's restaurant. When I got to be about 10 years old, I got my first position there, which was organizing the storeroom. So whenever deliveries came in, I would have to go down. It was in the basement and uh, break down the boxes, put everything on the shelves uh, my grandfather was a stickler about details, so every label had to face the right a certain way. And to this day, you know, my storerooms, you know, all the labels face the same way. If you came over to my house, you'd open the refrigerator, all the labels are facing out. So, you know, little things like that stick with you. Well, there's already little nuggets coming out in your story of like uh, better, better ways to do things. And why, just for example, why does it make sense to unpackage all the boxes and put things where they belong and be organized on the shelves? Like, what is the benefit of that? Just efficiency. See mm-hmm. what you have, how many there are. Mm-hmm. You always, if somebody comes down and needs something, they they know where to get it at the mm-hmm. same time. Uh, get rid of all those cumbersome boxes, break them down so they don't take up a lot of space in the dumpster. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, just one of the things, I, I know I can't be the only one who's experienced this, where you're doing inventory, you see a full box. So in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, we have a full box of that. But what you don't realize is that inside that box, there's only like maybe one item left. In a giant box, there's only one thing left. So you just it's not a real representation of what you got. And like you said, it takes up so much unnecessary space. Right. Um, so just little details already coming out of today's conversation. What else did your grandfather teach you? He told me something that all my managers know by heart. And when, we, when I was a kid, we went out to dinner to another restaurant. And he said, Bert, Look at those lights. And I said, what, Grandpa? And he said, the light bulbs are out. Mm. He said, that means this restaurant's going to be going out of business soon. I said, why? He said, because if they don't take care of details like that, they're not taking care of the more important things. Ooh, that's what are the more important things? Everything from uh, checking the food in at the back door properly. Uh, make sure it's prepared properly, um, hiring the right people, training them properly. Keeping them happy. Yeah, I yeah. mean, everything. I love it. Um, any other lessons from your grandfather? Because I know your your father, too, is somebody we also have to pay homage to. Right. Well, for my grandfather, the other thing was is that his customers were very difficult. Most of them were European immigrants, and they were hard to deal with. And he said... I don't have to like these people, but they're always my customers. Yeah. How do you, what, what do they teach you about shutting off that irritation, that anger that we get sometimes when we don't like somebody? How do you teach you any way to like, you know, override that or overcome that? Not at that age. 
But we once you make the commitment to be in the hospitality industry, you make the commitment to make people happy. Okay. You have to treat them like they're a guest in your own home. Mm. And we're dealing with people when they're hungry or when they've been drinking. So we usually see people when they're at their worst. And we have to turn them around and astonish them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about your, your father now, because I know he had a, was it a, a kosher dairy operation? Was well, it? well, that was my grandfather's. That was grandfather. Okay. And then my dad worked with him. And when my grandfather was too old to work, my, my dad took it over. Okay. And how long was your dad leading the ship? He let he was in charge there for about ten years. Okay, so you said your your grandfather was nineteen twenty three to nineteen. Sorry, was it nineteen fifty three? Was when he he finished got out of the industry, right? About sixty three. About sixty three. Okay. Yeah. So your dad was he going from sixty three to seventy three? Is that yeah, about right? Right. Okay. Uh, what did your dad teach you? My dad taught me to take care of your employees. Okay. What's that look like? He was very generous. He always paid people more than what they were entitled to. Mm-hmm. He treated them like they were family. And that always resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And How did he justify paying them more than what their, their value was? Well, he couldn't. <laughs> but what's the value of a good employee, you know? Yeah. I mean, you don't want to lose good people. <laughs> And uh, it's like you look at sports yeah. and, uh, the, you know, the best players make a lot of money. Yeah. I think you, you have to, like, look at the bigger picture. Like, wh- what is it worth for me to be able to know I can step away from the business for a day or two if I have to? What is it worth for me to not have to be in the business and also teaching and training somebody? Like, there's a lot of added expenses that co- come that aren't so obvious when you don't have experienced people in your restaurant. So, That's so true. Yeah. In our industry – a customer wants continuity and consistency, and you don't get that by turning over staff. Yeah, and you might have to pay a little extra to get it. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a great lesson. What else did he teach you? He taught me what not to do. Okay. Yeah. What's, get so, it, get, give me some examples of what not to do, not to beat up your dad or anything. <laughs> Go for it. He, he didn't always use good judgment. You know, he ran by the seat of his pants he, 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 um, reactive, well, he, not, he, not well, planner. Yeah. He, Instinctual. He, right. He'd like to party okay. more than he, than he liked to work. Okay. And you have to find balance in your life and know when to do things. Okay. We're not to go any further than that. Yeah. Um, so, at what point were you saying to yourself, "This is like you're in, like this is what you want to do"? Because when I think we're on the on the timeline, we're at 1973, which is when your dad had the restaurant. Do you know when that the the kosher uh, operation closed? Yeah, the neighborhood was changing, and uh, it closed down in '73. Okay, but you were but, in Florida by 1980. So, what happened well, in between? So, you know, I went to college in uh, 1967. Okay. So I was even out of college by then. Okay. So what'd you go to school for? Uh, business. Okay. I got a degree in marketing. Gotcha. So um, I didn't think I wanted to be a restaurant owner when I went to college. Both my grandfathers were entrepreneurs. 
of course, you know, one was uh, in the restaurant business, one was in the clothing business, and I thought that I'd want to have my own business someday. Uh, but when I, when I was going, I went to school in Arizona, so when my mom and dad took me to the airport, uh, my dad said to me, Bert, you're on your own. I said, well, what does that mean, Dad? <laughs> I was 17 years old. <laughs> what did it mean? And he said, I'll pay your tuition, but any other money that you want, you're going to have to earn. I said, fine. So the only thing I knew how to do was to work in their restaurant. I was a busboy all through high school. So I got a job in a restaurant and uh, worked my way through college, You know, starting as a busboy, becoming a cook, a server, and a bartender. Okay, so all elements, really. Yeah. Um, and at this point, when, when you graduate, are you, are you still thinking you still have an interest in a restaurant? What, at what point are you like, okay, this is what I want to do? So well, I graduated from school, and uh, I moved to Hawaii and uh, surfed for six months and hung out. <laughs> and uh, my parents said, you know, you got you to gotta come back here and get a real job now, you know? So I went back to New York, and uh, after being in Hawaii, just New York wasn't for me. I don't blame you. And I said, I'm going to go back to Arizona and get a master's okay. in real estate. Okay. Because real estate was booming there at the time, and I thought that could be a good opportunity. So when I went back out to Arizona, I needed to make money again, so I got a job as a, at a restaurant that was just opening up as a bartender called Victoria Station. Okay. And... Uh, they were a chain out of San Francisco. This was their sixth uh, location. So I was bartending there. And then one of th- about six months into it, uh, the manager asked me if I wanted to get into the management program. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Maybe that's a good idea. I could learn a lot. Yeah. And, and uh, I liked the company. You know, they had good values. You said you're in Arizona at this time? Yeah. Okay. So I agreed to get into the management program, and I went out to San Francisco for their training, and they sent me to Los Angeles to become an assistant manager. And I said, that was the point that I said, I could do this. Why? I had a passion for it. I certainly had the background. It was part of my DNA. I grew up in it. And I realized once you get up to this level of management, it's a whole different thing. Uh, and uh, I fell in love with being a manager, and I said, I'm going to open up my own restaurant someday. Okay, what you said you, you it's your passion. What, ex, what specifically are you ha- passionate about when it comes to being a manager? People. Okay, what about people? Just being able to mentor younger people, being able to be a problem solver, uh, meeting a lot of guests. You know, as a server and a bartender, I I interacted a lot, which I really enjoyed. And as a manager, you really get to make decisions that could make people's experience that much better. Yeah. Um, What part about mentoring others really resonates the most with you? Looking at them when you tell them something and, and you can see that they say, got it. Mm. So helping them grow, seeing growth. Absolutely. Yeah. Helping people grow is uh, so rewarding. I can relate with that, man. Absolutely. Um, so you, you 
this is your first like corporate setting as far as restaurants go. And it seems like this, the Victoria station had a lot of system process order. You know, they had a culture. What did they teach you? Like, where were you before this experience? And what were the, some of the key lessons that they gave you at this point, as far as how to be a manager and, and operations, things like that? So the three owners of that company all graduated from the Corn- Cornell hotel oh, okay. school. And they brought with them all these systems and programs that I'm using right till today. And they just gave me a foundation for success. Can you get specific? Can you share some of those those systems, like the key systems that really think set you up for success? Well, it mostly things, just things like you don't bank percentages, you bank dollars. Yes. What does that mean? It means that if a chef says, well, I can't run a veal chop because c- it's a 40% food cost. And I'll say, but you're going to make $25 on it. Wouldn't you rather sell a veal chop and make tw- 25 and sell a pork chop and make 15 Yeah, I got you. So it's 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 margins, basically, that you're looking at. Cash flow. Right. Got it. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Um, what else? These are key lessons that you learned while at Victoria Station. Right. They They told me that things are black and white. So you're either on time or you're late. So standards. Right. Your uniforms are either clean or they're not. Mm-hmm. And so those type of philosophies have stayed with me, you know, my okay. whole career. Let's go deeper. When it comes to standards, um, it's not, it's either black or white. Um, but how do you, what's, what's the secret to reinforcing those standards okay. in a way that isn't like, you know, cr- like rigid or hard? Like how do you, how do you be soft about it? Well, or can you not? Well, <laughs> that's, I'll tell you a good story about Please. that. You can't, it depends on the employee. Like some people need to be treated uh, with kid gloves and some people you need to just smack around. And so I was an assistant manager with them for six months and they promoted me to be a general manager in Houston, Texas at the lowest volume store in the entire company. Now I'm 24 years old, general manager. Okay. So I go into the store and I call an all staff meeting and I said, okay, you guys don't know me, but here's the deal. I want you to be on time. I want you to be in your uniforms. I want teamwork. I want cleanliness and I want guests to be happy. If you can't say yes to somebody, come and get me and we'll figure out a way to make this happen. Yeah. Right. So that next Saturday night, I stood at the back door at five o'clock. Five people showed up late and all five got fired. Okay. So me and my two assistant managers waited tables that night with the rest of the staff. And from that point on, guess what? People came in on time. They came in in uniform and sales start to increase. So what's the lesson there? The lesson is discipline. Yeah. You know, discipline, you know, you see it at the military, you see it in sports, you see it in every successful business. Yeah, and also that you said something and you follow through, like you told them. And, and if you if you don't follow through with the standards, then people don't take them seriously. Right. Yeah. And if you talk to any of my past employees, the good employees will say, I love Bert. And the, the employees that didn't do a good, good job say, we hate Bert. Because <laughs> if you're not going to do a good job, you're not going to work here. Okay. So how long were you with Victoria Station? I was with them for... Almost six years. Uh, like I said, I started with them when they had six restaurants as a bartender. And then I left when they had 90 restaurants and I was running the East Coast. Wow. 
Um, so you learned a lot about scale too. What were some of the key lessons they taught you about scale? Don't grow too fast. Okay. How do you know you're, you're, you're not growing too fast? When you're not overstretched, when you're not stretched too thin, when, <clears throat> when you can't find good people to get the job done right. Okay. Like I opened three restaurants in two weeks with them. Wow. And how do you do that? How you know? do you do that? You can't do that. Okay. I'm happy that's the answer. <laughs> um, but you say don't over don't overextend yourself, don't overstretch. So specifically, what are the what are the the metrics we're looking at? Is it cash flow? Is it people? Is what is it? it? It's all of the above. Okay, it's all of the above. I mean, it's not about how big you are; it's about how well you execute. Okay, so how do you know it, it, when you are ready to to expand? Then, when you have the people ready to do it, you're only as strong as your weakest link. So if you don't have the people on board or you can't acquire the right people, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. I love it. Um, so at what point did you find your way to Florida? So I had a, a friend and a partner through this whole Victoria station process and our careers paralleled each other. And Victoria station was a public company and they started making some changes in their quality. They cut, they cut portion sizes they cut the quality of the food, and he and I felt, well, it's probably time to move on. Okay. So we got an offer to move down to Miami to be partners in a restaurant. So we both left, drove down to Miami. We spent uh, two weeks sharing my grandmother's fold-out cot nice. <laughs> before we found a place to live. Okay. And we opened our first restaurant in Miami in uh, the end of 1979. Okay. Um, so... This this restaurant you opened was that the partnership that the so who 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 were, who were your business partners at the time? How did they? How were you discovered? Like what was pulling you down to Miami? So yeah, we had a group of investors who were okay. looking to open a restaurant. Uh, they wanted to do it in Fort Lauderdale, but we found a great location in Miami. Okay, and uh, we opened it up. You know, his name was Max. Hence, you know, we're sitting in yep. Burton Max's right now. Is this your partner that you you came over from Arizona with, or uh, that we moved to Miami with? That, uh, that we worked in Victoria Station with, and he gotcha. and I moved to Miami gotcha. together. So we opened up our first restaurant called Raffles. It was uh, similar to like a Friday's Hands, whatnot. Got you. So what I'm curious about, you said you had investors, people that you knew somehow that knew about you and Max. Right. Um, how how did you become acquainted with these these folks back in the '80s? Uh, Max had a friend who had a group that was interested. They were down here that was interested in opening. opening yeah, okay. they actually wanted to open up a nightclub. Okay, but we convinced them to open up a restaurant. Why? Because that's what we did. You know, we weren't really nightclub guys. Yeah, uh, and we explained to him nightclubs are more trendy and it's a different kind of vibe and whatnot. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. What were your biggest, this is the first restaurant you've ever opened on your own, right? Yes. Now, I know we're going back to the 80s. I know the times have changed a lot, but what were your biggest challenges back then? The biggest challenge back then 
was managing our success. Okay, I think now's a great time to take our first break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back to dive into this this challenge of managing your success. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs, and effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure your profitability and restaurant success. Trusted by over 400 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you already use and trust like toast, turning labor into a competitive advantage for you and your business. To get three months absolutely free, head over to www.sevenshifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Get on it. We're back. And we were just talking about your biggest challenge, which you said was managing your success, right? Did right. I hear that correctly? Right. What do you mean by that? So our first restaurant in Miami was at, at the entrance to a mall. Okay. And uh, we were, and we had great food. We hired a chef from the Culinary Institute and we're making everything from scratch, french fries from scratch, you know, just done everything as good as it could have been done. And it was packed from noon until nine o'clock at night. And then it was dead. And we're saying, here we are in Miami in 1980, and there's all kinds of action, and we're ready to close up. It doesn't make sense. So Max, my partner, said, why don't we get a band to come in here and play? Okay. So um, one of our busboys was in the music program at the University of Miami, which is a great music school. And I said, Cliff, do you have any friends that are in a band that might want to play here? He says, yeah, I got some friends that are great. And I said, well, if they're interested, bring them in. We'll talk to them. So these guys come in. We're sitting here talking about playing. And uh, it seems like they're good guys and know what they're doing. So I offer them the job. Would you guys like to play here and you know, start on Wednesday night? And they said, uh, sure, that sounds great. So what kind of music was it like? A, was it like an instrumental, like brass band, or like what was going on? It, they, they had a, a, they had they sang and they played mostly covers, you know, okay. eighty covers. Yeah. And so they said, okay. 80, I said, uh, I said, Do you guys want a gig? And they said, yeah. So I said, uh, how's how's Wednesday at nine o'clock? And they said, that's great. And I said, by the way, what do you guys call yourself? And they said, the Miami Sound Machine. I've heard that name. Yeah, I mean that was a I'm, huge band back yeah. then. Gloria Stefan and the Miami right now. <laughs> Yeah, right. Okay. But um but uh and they so that's a big time band. Yeah. You know? Okay. And and people my, must be shaking their head at me right now cuz I'm not yeah, more yeah, familiar right. with it. Sorry. So <laughs> I said to them uh all right. Don't be late. <laughs> cuz you know they were yeah. just college kids at yeah. the time. This was before that's the crazy. famous or anything like that, you know. So but, how uh, do they what what kind of influence do they have in your operation? They brought us from being de- dead at nine o'clock to being open right to be packed right until closing, which not, which was which was two o'clock in okay. the morning back then. Wow. And we were selling more champagne than most places in Miami back then. It's it just we made a million dollars in our first year in profit, which is something to 
be said for the eighties, right? Yeah, I mean, because you know, What's we were charging to today. We were charging four dollars for a hamburger back then. Wow. You know, yeah. So I mean, it's probably could have been like two million dollars today. Yeah, and so from there, you know, we thought we were bulletproof. Um, Dennis and I, we both bought Porsches. You know, a sailboat. <laughs> we just, you know, we got too successful too fast we thought it was easy yeah and ultimately you know it really led to a, a big crash okay so i think one there's a few lessons to pull i think well one that's coming to my mind right now is that when, when you have a challenge go to your employees because you'd be surprised at what solutions they might come up with right yeah. and i think we don't go to our line staff like enough for solutions and you want your bus boy right and you and you knew enough about your bus boy to know that he might know somebody because you knew that he was into music. So taking the time to know your line staff employees, what their interests are. And then it, when you do that, when you, when you come across uh, a challenge, you, you then know who you can go to for help. Right. Um, what's going through your mind as I share this? Absolutely. You have to me, you know, I take a personal interest in all my employees. I, I have since the very beginning, you know, my dad and my grandfather instilled that in me. And I've never had children. Okay. And I see these kids as like an extension of my family. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, that, I think that's a great. What, what, what about people who say that you got to draw that line between work life and balance? Like, how, like, how can you treat them and look at them as, as family, but also how do you find that line of not getting too involved? I don't think there is a line. Okay. I think that, uh, you know, now I have grandchildren, you know, and you yeah. have. To, well, not that I have kids. My wife had a daughter. Gotcha. <laughs> so you have to have discipline. You have to have tough love. Yeah, I love that. Um, so you said you you're, you're, you didn't you were too successful, or you didn't realize that maybe it was not. It was, I'm sure it was hard work, maybe but a little bit of luck. But you thought you were unstoppable, right? I'm sure you are unstoppable. Huh. But um, how did how did this bite you? How did this hurt you? So we we built up to six restaurants in four years. And it just, we were partying way too much. Okay. So the lessons from your dad didn't quite sink in yet, huh? Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like father, like son, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so you're a party. So you had, you opened four rest, what, how many, six restaurants in four years? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then um, we ended up just having to sell them all. Okay. All of them? All six? Yep. Wow. What happened? The investors just said, you know, you guys are out of here. <laughs> How long did, so you said four years, six restaurants. Um, paint the picture of what was going on. Really paint that, like help paint the picture of what not to do. Like what your lifestyle was, like how how the, were the restaurants no longer uh, profitable? Like what was going on? Yeah, we just, you know, kind of got to the point where we were, you know, staying out too late at night, you know, not being 100% clouded our judgment in some respects, you know, making not the best business decisions. And uh, I guess it was just, we were just too successful and it, we weren't ready to handle it. Yeah. And I know we're going back 35, almost 40 years. Yeah. Um, what were some of the, the worst decisions you made in that time? Aside from drinking and maybe, I don't know if drugs were involved, but whatever you were doing. Well, it's hard to be in Miami. And not <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, what... What were the worst business decisions you made? The worst business decisions I made was not having good advice. 
mm. from people that I could depend on and trust in. Okay. Um, knowing what you know now, 40, 35 years later, right. what advice would you give to yourself back then? The, the advice you needed. Stay within the lines. You know, just stay focused, stay professional, and realize that you are lucky and don't take it for granted. Okay, what are the lines? Be more specific. The lines are don't do anything in excess. Okay. Um, this is great. I'm just trying to figure out. I know there's so much I can pull back layers here. I'm trying to figure out which layers to pull back. Right. So just basically not getting ahead of your skis is what I'm hearing. And also right. having some discipline when it comes to work-life balance as far as the indulgement, indulging in the, the success you were having. Right. Okay. Because at that time, you know, we were making just so much money. Yeah. And – Later in my life, you know, once once uh, we left Raffles and we got back to the real world, say, I've had so many nights laying in bed thinking about, I have to pay payroll tomorrow. Where am I going to get the money from to pay payroll? And you're making a million dollars a year. Right. <laughs> well, this is actually after Raffles, okay. you know? Yeah. But, you know, the real world is, uh, you know, you're, every, you're not going to hit home runs all the time. Yeah. You know, restaurant business is tough. You know, so many restaurants don't make it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I certainly had my share that haven't. So knowing what you know now, what would you have done? You, stay, you said staying with your lines. Right. I would, uh, I just would have not. Maybe put some I, money away, invest in some assets. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. I just would have found better balance in my life. Mm -hmm. I would have probably settled down. Um. Either, you know, married, you know, one of the girlfriends or yeah. not, you know, partied like as much as I was partying and um, stay focused. Just make sure that I had a good balance between my personal life and my business life. Um, I would have exercised a lot more at that time. <laughs> yeah. And got you. Yeah. So um, you had to sell all six restaurants. Where were you? like emotionally after this going from extreme highs driving Porsches partying every night having lots of girlfriends and you know just having the time of your life um, where were you emotionally after losing all that I was in depression I big time how long for about for about almost eight months okay I went back and lived with my mom up in New York. Yeah. Okay. I moved back in with my mom and just kind of licked my wounds. And how old are you at this point? At that Early point, 30s? yeah, I was like thirty-four, thirty-five years old. Okay. Um, so, at, at what point did you have enough of you know licking your wounds? You say, okay, it's time to pick up my, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and get after it. Yeah. So I, I, um, it just kind of came back, you know, got that passion back. And I said to myself, look, you know, I want to, I want to stay in the restaurant business. I want to be a successful owner and, uh, I'm going to go back and do it. Okay. So what was your, after all these experiences you've had up to this point, you, you know, now you're a successful operator, some regard, absolutely. How are you doing it differently with all this experience? Well, 
you know, I'm just a lot more disciplined. Yeah. Uh, taking one step at a time. Uh, I seek counsel when I need it. Um, I try to limit my risks. And, uh, but my values have stayed the same throughout all of this. And where, um, where would you try to seek counsel? Give me an example of where you'd go for counsel. Like having an attorney that okay. you could uh, trust who will not yes you to death that will give you good advice. Have, having an accountant who could tell you, you know, what you can and can't yeah. really do. Those are the two key ones that come up all the time in the show as far as like you need to like grow your team beyond like the four walls of your business. And the first things you need to outsource to are you typically an attorney and an accountant. Why are those two the big ones? Because they, um, they, without them, you could lose a lot of money. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, okay, let's take a step back. Let's just zoom to 30,000 feet. Um, it's now the late 80s? Yeah. Okay, late 80s, you, you, you dust yourself off. You say, let's get back at it. Um, paint the picture of what restaurants have been in your life from then to now, if that makes any sense. So we can see, are you so, because I know you opened uh, the pizza concept, Pezzo. Yeah. Um, that was an 80s concept, was it not? 89. Was that one of your first restaurants, getting back into it? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, um, before I opened Prezo, I went to work for at the uh, at a hotel in Fort Lauderdale okay. as a manager. And then... Um, was that your first step back into hospitality after getting out? Yeah, okay. pretty much. Gotcha. So, uh, Max and I had an opportunity to open up a, uh, a restaurant in Boca Raton. And we were seeing around the country that restaurants, especially in New York and California, there were trends for wood ovens, uh, homemade pasta, wood-burning pizza, and things like that. Okay. And we said, there's nothing like that in South Florida. You know, why don't we open up something like that? You know, we visited those places, and so we could do this. And we opened up Prezo in Boca Raton in 1989. Once again, huge success. Yeah, I bet. Huge success. And um, we were the first restaurant in South Florida to have a wood-burning oven. We offered, like, radicchio, which everybody knows of now. But back then, we had to explain to people what radicchio is. Okay. And uh, But it just took off. So then, you know, we're off to the races again. From there, we opened up a restaurant called Max's Grill. Okay. Which uh, I still own today, and uh, then we met uh, the famous basketball player Will Chamberlain, and we partnered up with Will to open a sports bar called Will Chamberlain's. Okay, and we had a good solid foundation, and then we grew this business over time to where we had fourteen restaurants that that stemmed from South Beach to Orlando. Okay, so fourteen. Re- so Prezzo, the Maxes, and Will Chamberlain's were the first three restaurants you opened, getting back into it, and you sc- you scaled to how many total restaurants? Fourteen. Fourteen. Um, all right, fourteen. So I, again, I, I guess at what point I don't even know where to go. There's so many things <laughs> we're gonna be talking about right now. So what, I mean, what was it about Prezzo's? Let's, let's start there. That you think you said it was a hit out of the gates. What made it a hit? Why was it so successful? Is it because it was so unique? Yeah, okay. It, it was unique and um, it had great energy, great margins too at that time for pizza. I'm well, a yeah, yeah, the margins were really strong, and once again, you know, it's all predicated on great food, which we had, 
and you know our standards and our values that you know transcended everything and um it uh it was scalable so we opened up a second in north miami a third in south miami okay how many total prezos did you have we had three okay so what were the how many total maxes did you have i think there were four or five okay and then how many total uh will chamberlains one okay and then we had other concepts so from there we're at uh, eight. That's eight restaurants. Um, and so did you have, there were uh, six other concepts. Well, we had uh, two in West Palm Beach, uh, and two in Orlando, and I can't even remember. <laughs> we're, we're missing two more, but I mean, um, I mean, oh, wait, painted wait. the picture. Oh, I had two on South Beach. Okay, two in South Beach. So. What were you? So, what were you doing differently this time around that enabled you to scale to fourteen restaurants? And how much time? Ten years. Ten years. So, from nineteen eighty-nine to, to ninety-nine. Okay. Right. Um, what were you doing differently this time around? So, Max and I were a lot more focused. Okay. We were disciplined. So you brought Max back into it, right? Yeah. Well, we yeah. Uh, so we we. Delegated, we, well, we split up our responsibilities to work for both of our strengths. Okay. We, uh, what were your strengths? My strengths were operations. Okay. What were his, what were his strengths? His strengths were conceptual and, uh, like real estate design stuff development. Like that. Well, you had the real estate license. I was curious if that was going to come back into today's conversation. Oh, no. I ne- I, I left, I left school to, to become a manager. Oh, so you never got your. I degree? never got my okay. degree in gotcha. uh, in real estate. Gotcha. So you're doing you're focused on operations. He's focusing on like, uh, what would that be? I guess like opportunity development, R and D development. Yeah. Um, how many other pieces of the puzzle did you need? I mean, was it just you and Max, or did you have other people? Well, we, that, we had over a thousand employees. Oh, you can imagine. Yeah. So, yeah, we had a director of operations. Uh, you know, a controller, a whole bookkeeping de- department, a purchaser, a marketing person. You gotcha. know, we had a real company. So you're, you're, the, the biggest changes is you're, you had a little bit more, some, probably something to prove after failing, right? You probably had a little bit like that's never going to happen again. Right. Um, what were the other things you were doing differently this time around? We, we brought in a consultant. Okay. A fellow named Bill Main. And he helped us set up systems. He helped us identify what our culture is. Okay. Um, we established our values. What were the key systems you were, you were missing? Prior to that? Yeah, before a bill came in. A compass. What do you mean by a compass? I mean, who are we? What do we stand for? What is, what is our culture? And uh, we really had to identify all that to set the foundation for success. Before that, you know, back in Raffles, we were just high energy party place with led by two crazy maniacs. Well, I mean, plus when you're smaller, when you when you're only a few locations, you can you, your presence, your your literal presence, your presence, Max presence is there, echoes, and people can see it and they can absorb that and they can follow. But when you get to 14 locations, you're spread thin and people don't the the, the culture isn't as obvious because you're not shoulder to shoulder with the founders. So you got to put that 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 culture on paper so people so you can live through these things like core values missions your why and all that stuff right absolutely so, so what were the what, so he helped you establish your, your values what was that process of establishing your values like 
So we got all of our general managers and chefs together. And we talked about, we spent three days talking about what's important to us. Mm. What do we really care about? And at the end of the, by the end of the session, we came down with five core values. Do you remember them? <laughs> I, I, I the, live the, them. To this day, do you still have the same five core values? Absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. What are they? Okay. Our first value, and this was the, this was determined by our team. Okay. You, having great food and beverages. One. Right. And so we're medium-priced restaurants, but we purchase the same quality as any high-priced restaurant in our area. So, you know, you can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit. You know, you have to have a, you have to have a great quality to start with. Yeah. Second value is having our employees feel like they're working for the best restaurant in our area. And I'm proud to say that just last year in a local, the Sun Sentinel, our local newspaper down here, they do a survey every year of employees and our employees picked us as the top workplace. I in, saw that. In South Florida. Congratulations. Thank the, you. The ultimate compliment. It's, it's so rewarding. It speaks right to our, our value. It does. You know? I love that. And uh, it's so gratifying. I mean, it's a lifetime achievement. Yeah. Uh, so number one, have your, your great products. Uh, right. Having your employees uh, feeling like they work for the best is number two. Number right. three? Treat your customers like we'd want to be treated when we're a customer. Okay. That's pretty straightforward. The golden right. rule. Right. And once again, we are able to uh, quantify that. Back in uh, 2013, the United States Chamber of Commerce, uh, every year they do a best small businesses of the year. And so we, we submitted our application for that, which is like writing a term paper. And uh, we got selected as the best business in the southeastern United States. Wow. They had seven regions in the country. We're number one in, south, in the southeastern. That's incredible. And so, but out of all the applicants, they said, we're going to survey all your customers to see how, what your customers think of you. And we're going to announce it at the awards breakfast in uh, Washington, D.C. for the Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. So, you know, so my wife and I and a couple of friends go up to D.C. And uh, the night before the event, you know, we went to a friend's restaurant up there and got all liquored up and stuff like that, you know. And, <laughs> The next morning at 7.30, you know, we're sitting there all hungover eating our breakfast. And the president of the United States Chamber says, I'd like to announce the Customer Service Award winner for the United States. And it's Rappaport's Restaurant Group. Oh, man. We came in number one in the country for customer service. That's amazing. I'm. I don't you worry. I'm planning on pulling back the layers on these. I want, I'm, once we get the the five core values out, I want to learn how you achieve those things. So okay. keep, keep, keep going. You're okay. doing great. Number four is continue to grow as individuals. This was important to our team. It's important to everybody. Uh, you know, I think some people are content being a, a server their entire career or being a sous chef or a manager, and that's great. But some people want to grow, and we want to provide people with the opportunity to continue to grow. I love that. And that's huge. We're going to pull back some layers on that, I'm sure. What's number five? Be financially successful. Mm. 
And we say that that's fifth because if you're not doing the other four properly, you're not going to be financially successful. And if you do them properly, you are going to be successful. Yes. Um, I, let's let's pull some of these apart. I think having a great product, that's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, we're not so much – we're here to talk about all the elements uh, around food and beverage that you need to do to, to be successful. So I'm going to skip, kind of skip over that one. But having your, your employees feeling like they work for the best, how do you accomplish that? Just empathy. Okay. You know, just coming up through the ranks. You know, I remember being in college and – you know, have to study for a test and, you know, having to work a double and whatnot and what it took to get through all that. And I just know where these kids are at. You know, I was a busboy, you know, for over six years, four years in high school and a couple years in college. So I know what it's like to bus tables. So, you know, I just like when I go into a restaurant, I talk to every employee and I used to take so much pride in knowing everybody's name, mm-hmm. you know, even when we had over a thousand employees. How do you do but, that? Is there a well, system you use for learning names? No, I just made a point of it. But now as you get older, you can't remember <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm 35 and I can't remember <laughs> shit. So I think it's impressive, man. So now it's a lot more difficult. But but at least, you know, spending time with everybody, how how you doing, how's school going, how's your folks you know, just taking a personal interest in everybody and letting them know that if they need anything, if there's anything they ever want to talk about, that I'm personally available to do that. So what's that look like when you let them know if you need anything, I'm here for you? Is it just an open door policy? Is there, uh, is, do they know what to do if they do need you? Is there a process put in place and how to reach out to you? I think my uh, my cell phone number is available to everybody, and I don't get called a lot. But when I do, I you know I res- we, whatever it you know takes. It's usually a dishwasher who needs money to send back home or whatnot. You know, and you know we always take care of our people. So give me an example of when. You know, you gave out your phone number, somebody called you, and by opening up that channel of communication, what was the result of that? Whatever whatever their concern was, you know, I addressed. Sometimes they don't like working for a certain sous chef, or um, usually now I don't get called if somebody feels their harassment issue. You know, we have a HR person, and people will go to them, but occasionally I'll get called on an HR issue, and I'll get right in the middle of it. I'll handle it myself. Uh, and there's nothing more important than how pe- how people feel, especially people that are working so hard for you. Mm-hmm. The least I could do is to help them in any way I can. So when there is an HR situation, and you, in the past when you did get into it, how, what's the best way to handle those situations? The best way is to uh, keep it discreet. Uh, make people let people know that you know this is totally confidential uh, listen to everything they have to say and then figure out what the best way to proceed is okay so yeah. first step is just you know make sure it's safe space second step listen and third step take appropriate action okay 
Gotcha. So first seek to understand before you jump to conclusions. Right. right? Um, I love that. So up to this point, we for regarding um, how to make your employees feel like they work for the best, have empathy, know their names, take a personal a personal interest in them, and let them know that you're there for, for them. As, even going as far as giving them your personal cell phone and letting them know that you can contact them at any time. What else? Anything well, else? Yeah. We let them know that when we make decisions, we don't make it for profit. We make it first for our, our product then and our guest and our employee. And they understand our values so they know that we're looking out for them. Mm. I love that. So what you said, it's product, guest, then employee? Yeah. Got it. No, product, employee, then and guest. then guest. Got it. But like one of the things that we do or two of the things we do that a lot of restaurants don't do is that we drug test and we e-verify. What's e-verify? E-verify is a federal program that says you have to be a legal citizen to work. Okay. Got it. So what about – and this this is kind of interesting. Like maybe I'm getting a little ahead of ourselves, but I think the, the culture around certain drug use has changed over the past, say, 10 years, right? A lot. Specifically marijuana, right? Um, more and more people smoking marijuana, getting it from their doctors uh, legally, whether it's prescription or recreational. It's like having a drink of uh, a beer today, right? right? The equivalent. Do you filter out people who use marijuana? No, I'd have to fire myself. Okay. <laughs> so, so when you say the, drug testing, right. we, I'm talking about uh, oxycotton, gotcha. cocaine. Gotcha. You know, I just those kind of things. We don't want those people in our restaurants. Gotcha. Okay, cool. I had to verify. <laughs> um, all right. So I think we unpackaged uh, having your employees feeling like they work for the best and then literally getting the accolades and, you know, showing people that you are the best probably helps too. you know, walking the walk, like and getting recognized. I mean, I think that recognition probably plays a role. Does it not? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't think we need to unpackage that, do we? All right. So moving forward, uh, treating your customers like you want to be treated yourself. It's the golden rule. Any other element on that thought that you want to share with us? Well, learning guest names. Mm -hmm. Empathy. If, <laughs> empathy. You know, we have down here in South Florida, a lot of people like to make up their own menus. So we try to accommodate whatever substitutions, additions, deletions that they want. Um, basically it yeah and um so this one's huge right here and i'm surprised that you guys wrote this down as far back as was this the 90s when you guys yeah. got these when bill came in yeah so like continue to grow as individuals and i think this is something that we're really just starting to tap into now more universally throughout the industry is like maslow's hierarchy of needs right in a and high on that that peak is personal growth. Just below self-actualization is personal growth. Did you guys know this back then? No. So was, how is that serving? Give me an example of how, what you do to make sure your people are continually growing. Okay. So every year we take our chefs on a, on a trip okay. to either New York, California, Chicago, and we just go into various restaurants and try a bunch of different foods and you know, ex expand their horizon when it comes to cooking. Okay. General managers, we also take on trips uh, to wine country, you know, mostly. But we bring in speakers. We have uh, conferences where we get everybody together. And um, we have, you know, guests come in and talk about insurance, you know, you know, just whatever it could be. And with the staff, you know, of course, we do all the uh, 
safe serves and alcohol awareness and things of that nature. But we give them the opportunity to become managers if, if they're so interested. And so for servers, if a server has any interest, we, have, we train them to be a trainer. And as a trainer, we see how well organized they are and their communication skills and whatnot. And if they feel like they're doing a good job and we feel like they are too, then, you know, we get them in the management program. So at what point do they know that there's a management program available to them? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it's just kind of understood. Yeah, I, I, I asked because we recently had Nick Cirillo on the show from Nick's Pizza uh, out of uh, just outside of Clearwater or somewhere, or what, something Lake, just outside of Chicago. Um, and uh, he talks about the building framing in your business for growth. Um, but like making it so like when, when you have somebody who joins your team and if they want to grow, you can show them, okay, this is exactly what you got to do to grow. These, this is, these are the courses you have to take. This is the information you have to be accountable for. And this is the, you know, like this is the path. So like building that framing and building those paths and, and putting a big light on them. So people know that there's room for growth. What are your thoughts on that? It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it depends how big you are. Yeah, for sure. Um, you also mentioned uh, bringing in speakers. Well, give me some example of the kind of speakers you're bringing in. Like we'll bring in an insurance person to talk about um, keeping the restaurant safe, so there's avoid trip and falls. Mm-hmm. We bring in you know wine people to talk about you know various wines and whatnot. I mean, just whatever seems to make sense, or some things don't even make sense. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, what about? I mean, pretty straightforward. I mean, you're just giving yourself, you're feeding information. Education seems to be a big part of what you guys do here. Right. Um, then lastly, fiscal responsibility. I think that's kind of huge because a lot of people, when they think of, you say, hey, you're going to be fiscally responsible, they might immediately go to, I need to put, I need to prioritize profit over relationships, right? Do, do, you, have you, do you ever see that happening with people that think like that or they, they don't want to make it about the money? But why is it important to be fiscally responsible? Well, because, you know, if you can't pay your employees, can't pay your rent, you know, yeah, forget exactly. about it. You're done. So how do you so, work that? You work that into a core value. Like, how do you act on that? So we don't really put it in the forefront, but it's certainly there, you know, and we base it off budgets. So we do our annual budgets and then we update them every quarter and we do our uh, financial meetings every month to talk about where we're at, you know, where we in sales, you know, did we hit our budget, didn't we, why we did we or didn't we. Go through every line item on the entire financial statement, put together an action plan if we need to work on some things. Um, and then at the end of the quarter, the managers and chefs are bonused uh, partly on their financial statement. Got it. Um, how many line items are there, just generally oh, speaking? Oh, jeez, it could be 40. <laughs> so what are the big elements of that meeting, this, this quarterly meeting that you're having? Like, like, Give us the framing of that meeting so we can try to replic- replicate it. So uh, myself, our director of operations, controller, uh, and the management team sits down. And we said, okay, our sales for this month, you know, they exceeded last year and they exceeded budget. You know, great job. You know, why did that happen? Or if we missed it, we say, you know, lunch sales are down and dinner sales are up. 
you know, you know, why do we think that is? And we just brainstorm ideas and come up with a plan. Got it. And uh, is there a, a format to planning that you guys use? Like a yeah. What is it? Well, we have a an outline, and the manager, the general manager, fills out the outline before the meeting, and they put their notes on them, and then we go through there and, and we just discuss everything. Got it. Uh, what what are the key elements to keep in mind when doing this that a lot of people miss when they're doing their quarterlies or, or annuallys? What do people miss? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, you mean our people? Or just generally, it's something that you guys do that you know not everyone does that kind of gives you like an advantage. Oh, you know, I don't know what anybody else does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stretching here. I'm trying I, to find little nuggets. Yeah. I'm doing great. I'm, yeah. loving the conf- I'm loving the information. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think we can wrap up the core values. Um, so at what point did you scale about? I mean, you're at, I think you said 14 locations right, at one point. in 1999. In, in, so almost 20 years ago, 20, right. 22 years ago at this point. Um, at what point did you start to shed some of your restaurants and why? So Dennis and I both realized that we're not having fun. Mm. Why not? It was just too big. It was, it was, uh, our balance was off again. Um, we were both having problems with our wives at mm. the time because we were gone so much yep. and working so much. And it was, it took away what we were not doing the things that we both like to do. Okay. And we were both tired of working with each other. Okay. <laughs> Frankly, right? So, uh, we ha- so we sold off all the restaurants except for one. Okay. And that was Max Grill? Max's Grill, yeah. Okay. Um, what year was that? Now this is uh, 2000. 2000. Uh, if we have to dissolve a business relationship and all of our assets... What advice do you have? What's the, do, like, do we need to have an exit strategy? Do you have an exit strategy before this? No. No, it just kind of evolved. And um, we thought about the best way of doing it. Does he take some of the restaurants? Do I take some? And But the fact that we were both getting not divorced only from each other, but from our wives at the same oh, time, man. it just seemed to make the most sense. It's just to liquidate everything. Get rid of everybody and uh, do what we wanted to do. Okay. Um, what advice do you have for doing that? For I mean, hopefully people that are listening to this never have to go through that. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a real thing that happens often. Yeah. I would say just make sure you have a, a great attorney and a great accountant. Yeah. Again, back to the attorney yeah. and accountant, right? Yeah. Um, so you, you since then, over the past 22, 21 years, 22 years, have scaled back up to four locations. So at what point did you feel like you knew you are ready to ramp up again? So that right after Max and I split up, he was running Max's Grill, and I opened up a restaurant called Henry's. Okay. And I, was, I ran it. I was the general manager. I went from having... You know, 16, that, 14 locations. So, right. Yeah. To here I am working chefs, right? Oh, man. What was that transition like? I loved it. Really? Good. It was great awesome. to get back to where I really had my fun, you know, dealing yeah. with the employees and dealing with the customers. It got me, it got me to reset all my priorities and values and everything else. And uh, it was really a lot of fun. So what, what was that reset? What were your, your new priorities at this time? Just making sure the doors got open at eleven thirty. <laughs> everyone was on time and wearing the uniform, right? right. The clean uniform. Um, and how long? So you, this was Henry's, right? It's no longer with us, right? I sold it uh, 
I guess three years ago. Okay, and um, you said that your other Max got Max's grill, right? But now that's in your family. Now again. you're right. So did Max sell it back to you? He's out of the business. Yeah. Okay. When did that happen? That happened two years ago. Okay. Um, and when did you open? Because we also have uh, Deck eighty four and Burton Max. Right. So, so what happened was I opened up Henry's, and then uh, from Henry's I opened up a restaurant called Bogarts in a movie theater. Okay. And I took over this movie theater. It was a Cinemark movie theater that they were running themselves. And they were losing $400,000 running it. And they asked me if I would run it. A lot of money to lose. And so I said, we could do this. And we went in there and we paid them $500,000 a year in rent. So they went from losing four hundred to making five hundred. And we made a ton of money ourselves just by instilling our values and our standards and our culture. But it was great. I mean, we were doing well over a thousand covers on a good Friday, Saturday night up there. So what were the key elements you changed? I mean, you obviously, the culture, the five, the, the five core values of your product, uh, your employees, your guests, your um, continued growth as individuals and fiscal responsibility. Okay. But specifically, what were some of the things that you changed it was this was a drive-through you said no no it was a movie theater okay movie theater so um the first thing we did is we looked at the staff and but you know we were going in there before we bought it so we had a good idea what was going on so we we terminated on the first day three quarters of the staff okay and i brought in people you know from henry's and people that have worked with me in the past to uh to to write the ship. Okay, so you took care of the the people issue. What was next? The food. Okay. So we implemented our menu, and uh, brought in the quality standards that we like to cook with and whatnot. And so we got the food right. All right. And then we brought in more staff and got everybody trained properly and got everybody on board. Then we had a big grand opening party and promoted the hell out of it. I was going to say, how did you spread the word out of like the new ownership? Yeah. We uh, just marketed it. We had a big party, for, donated the proceeds to a local charity. But I was well known in the community because I've been here all yeah. along. Yeah. So I, I just so the word got out. Uh, yeah, yeah. The word got out, and uh, it, and I thought I'm going to own this forever, you know. And here's a good thing to talk about for all you out there that are listening. <laughs> so nothing lasts forever, right? You know. Here I have a restaurant in a movie theater. That's doing $5 million a year in business. Two locations. No, just the one location okay. is doing $5 million. Wow. And I'm saying, who could open up another movie theater near us, right? You know, fast forward 10 years later, there's movie theaters all around us. Yeah. And now these new places have reclining seats and, yeah. you know, all this other stuff. And our and the movie theater I was in never wanted to make any changes. They didn't have to because I'm paying them 500 a year, you yeah. know. And my lease was up, and I said I'm not going to renew it. It just didn't feel right anymore. The world was pa- the, the world was passing us by because yeah. they were standing still. And that's the power of relativity, right there. Relative to where you were in early the earlier 2000s, you're never going to sell this thing. It's your baby. But as the world evolves and changes around you, things don't always look as glamorous as they once did. Right. right. Yeah. Right. So um, so we just gave him back the keys after 10 years. Wow. You know? Yeah. But, uh, go ahead. But then, so um, 
during that time, I had another a restaurant that that we had a recession in 2007 to 2008. Okay. And... I had a restaurant that was a little more fine dining than my other places. And that restaurant, we were forced to sell it because we were losing money there during the recession. Mm-hmm. What was the name of this restaurant? It was called Opus 5. Opus 5. And uh, So you have Henry's, the movie theater, Opus 5. How many total restaurants did you build back up to the second time around? Um, well, the most we've had at one time is four now. Okay. So that's now, in this, in right. this moment. Okay. Right. So Opus 5 if just the timing wasn't right and timing has a lot to do with the success of the business too. Absolutely. You know? And so, you know, that just didn't work out. And then I was just kind of licking my wounds again. Cause <laughs> when you lose money, it hurts. Yeah, of course. And a, a friend of mine calls me up and says, Bert, I have a location for you. It's down on the water. And I said, yeah. yeah. And I said, you know, I don't know if I'm really interested in opening another restaurant right now. (laughs) And he said, Bert, I'm telling you, you got to come down here and look at this. It looks like a beautiful location. Yeah. Yeah. Facility. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I said, all right, I'll come down. Yeah. So I go down there. I'm standing out there on the water. It's a beautiful spring day. The fish are jumping out and, you know, underneath the mangroves. And I'm saying, what's the catch? What's the catch? (laughs) Yeah. So the owner of the building shows up, and uh, he happened to be an older guy from New York who used to eat in my grandfather's oh, restaurant. Okay. okay. So he and I hit it Small off. Small world, right? Yeah, and we talked for two hours, and he says, he said, do you want, you want to take this place over? I said, what's the deal? And he tells me what the deal is, and I said, I'll take it. What was the catch? Was there a catch? There was no catch except <laughs> the restaurant that was there was a fine dining white tablecloth restaurant. Okay. And they too succumbed oh, to the uh, recession. They, yep. And uh, I'm thinking, man, being on the water, great place for fish tacos and mm-hmm. burgers and a great bar. And so I go home and I say to my wife, I said, I think I just agreed to do another restaurant. <laughs> she said, what are you, crazy? <laughs> so, you know, I put together a group of investors. We opened up Deck 84 in 2010. Yeah. And it took off like a rocket ship. We were running eight bartenders and two barbacks on a Sunday afternoon. Wow, that's amazing. It's huge. So, and, go ahead, go ahead. And, uh, you know, it's... It, right now, you know, we're averaging over a thousand people a day right now during the season. So, I mean, it's just a huge That's operation. Amazing. So, I think the only other, only other restaurant we haven't mentioned is Burton Max. Okay. So, when did that open? Burton Max opened it in two thousand and seven. No, two thousand and twelve. Okay. I, I think, think that so was the long. most recent. One, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah two thousand and twelve. And um, so, what happened is there were. A shopping center was being built in a undeveloped area of uh, Delray Beach, and they realized that they needed to uh, get an anchor tenant in here. So they said, "Well, we, Max's Grill would be perfect. It's far enough away, and people know it." And then they said, "Well, you know, there's two, there's two guys in Max's Grill. There's Bert and there's, there's Max." Yeah. So they came to me. And say, Bert, you know, we heard that you're the guy we should talk to. How'd you like to open up a restaurant out here? And, I, and they said, we'll put all, we'll put up the money up for it. Wow. 
And I said, that's great. And they said, yeah, but you need to call it Max's Grill. And I said, well, I'm, I can't call the restaurant Max's Grill. I have my own brand. Yeah. And I said, how about if I call it Bert and Max's Grill? And he said, okay, that's great. And so that's how we got to Bert and Max's. Beautiful. I mean, there's so much I feel like we could talk. I mean, you just have such a, a, a wide, you know, just breadth of experience in the industry. Um, what haven't we discussed up to this point that you think would be of value? Because I know you know yourself better than I do, right? What special knowledge, skills, experiences have we not been able to pull on up to this point that we could get out there for the listeners? Well, I just think the biggest takeaway, of course, is, you know, culture and values. Yes. You know, and just having a vision on what, where you want to go and how you're going to accomplish it. And uh, if you're out there thinking about this as a career, you know, you need to have a mentor and you need to have role models. Mm. Mentor and role models are key. And uh, what you have to do is just read about somebody or see somebody, find out what made them successful and figure out if that's a path that you could do. Or, you know, not every path is the same, but... um, you, that should be like your compass. Bert, I kind of feel like you just gave like a selfish plug for Restaurant Unstoppable podcast and the network because that's what it's all about is giving the industry role models. You're a role model. The, hearing your story, painting that picture. What are your values? Um, and then we're doing a lot of what you said like in the network. We've done a workshop on core values and a workshop on visioning and the, the importance led by Ari Weinswag from Zingerman's and Rudy Mick. Well, from Mick Consulting. So like the best of the best out there sharing their information and um, also peer mentoring. Like I'm going to invite you to come hang out for 30 minutes in the network to, to reflect on this episode. So I agree with 100% with everything you just dropped on us. And I'm trying to create that on Restaurant Unstoppable Network. Selfish plug. Good. I had to because you just, you just reinforce what I'll, I believe. So I'll thank t- you. What you're doing is invaluable. Thank you. And I'll, there's a book out there that everybody who is thinking about a career in the restaurant business should read is called setting the table by Danny Myers. I bought 30 copies of it (laughs) and gave it to all my managers to read. I love that. Uh, I do have one more question uh, that popped into my head because I think you have unique experience with this. Um, It doesn't come up a lot on the show, but what do we need to know if we do want to sell a restaurant? What, like what things does a, a restaurant need to be sold? A buyer. Okay, uh, but, but what else? So, you just have if you're going to sell a restaurant, just have to really determine why you want to sell it, what you're going to do, um, what are you going to use the money for, where do you want to go from there, um, and then figure out what the value is. You know what you think the value is is not what anybody else is going to think. Yeah. And you have to be realistic and know that you're not going to get anything near where you want mm-hmm. yeah, unless you get really lucky. And, uh, you know, just see how it goes. Well, specifically what's coming into my mind, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, is you, you, you can't sell a business that is dependent on people. So if you're selling a business, does it have the systems, the processes, the, all the, you know, the, does it depend on people or does it depend on operation? Right, and if you're selling a business that depends on people, and when you leave, the people come with you, that business doesn't become very. It's not. It loses all of its value. Right. 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 Thoughts on that? See, I would never buy an ongoing business. Like if I was, if I was going to buy a restaurant, it would be closed, and I'd go in there and take the benefit of the 
the shell. Yeah, they call it second generation Keep space. Turkey, yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's the really the best way if you're going to become an owner is not to start a place from scratch. It's just cost prohibitive. Yeah. I always, we say all the time, be someone's exit strategy. Because th- there's people, they're unhappy. Believe it or not, Bert, there are unhappy restaurant owners. Out there, <laughs> and they want any opportunity to get out. And if you can be someone's exit strategy, if that concept aligns, like the kitchen aligns with what you want to do, and you can just get a turnkey operation, what are your thoughts on that? Well, just remember that if you don't, if you live, if you don't live your own dreams, you're living somebody yes. else's dream. So you don't want somebody else's culture. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going into this, you want to put your own blueprint on it. So, you know, you want, you don't want to pay for someone. If someone says they're doing two million dollars a year, you don't want to pay for that. No, you want to start. You want to start and do your own thing. Yeah. What about the future of the restaurant industry? What What things happened over the past year? that you think are new over like, you know, things that are relatively new because of the past year and what's sticking around, what's going like, how's the, how's the future of the restaurant industry going to be different going forward? I think labor is tougher than ever. Mm-hmm. You know, every restaurant tour that I talk to is understaffed right now. Um, and payroll's going to get more. I mean, staffing is going to get more expensive. Yeah. So I think the role of the server is going to go away. Unless it's like the the brand is absolutely hinges on it, um, because of this right here. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm pointing at a QR code on the table, um, and and cu- coupled with this right here, and I'm holding my phone because I think, and I'm, I'm just curious in your feedback on this. I mean, I think there, there'll still be people on the floor, but they'll serve more of a concierge role, kind of like a like glorified manager touching tables, but just re- like you have like your area and your your people, you're responsible for those people. But they're going to be taking their own orders and placing their own orders through their phone. And I think that's going to cut back huge on labor expenses. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. There has to be change. Yeah. And, uh, you know, not with my generation because, you know, we're older and set in our ways. But, you know, for, you know, guys your age and younger, yeah, it's it's evolving. Anything else that you think that I, I didn't mention just then that will be changing? or or? Well, I think food will be a lot more automated. You could see it in equipment right now. Yep. I mean, there's smart equipment where it, you put the recipes into the equipment. I was at uh, Woodstone yesterday looking at a piece of equipment, and they have a computer on there that has all your recipes in there, and it tells the cooks, put in four four ounces of onions, and it cooks it at a certain temperature, and it, it's like... Was it Mies? Name of the product or the it, technology? Yeah. Was it called Mies? Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It, yeah. We, I just uh, interviewed... The founder of Mies not too long ago. Yeah. What are you, Mies, uh, are you using Mies? No, I'm just looking. Okay. But um, it's unbelievable. Yeah. But I mean, all that's the next, that's the wave of the future. Yeah. If you guys are interested in Mies, uh, head over to getmies.com slash unstoppable. Um, they are an affiliate. Uh, they've been recommended organically a bunch of times. And that's what it takes to be, it, that's what it takes for me to say, go to this slash unstoppable. They've been recommended a bunch of times organically. So it's a great tool for training um, because there's not just recipes and it's not just costing. It's also training. It's e-learning built into it too. Yeah. So it's really interesting stuff happening there. Sorry. I didn't mean to steal that, your thoughts. Oh, that's okay. You, you know, you, you have your commercials. You got to do <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. But so I think just staffing is going to be the biggest thing in food service. 
I like it. Yeah, I, I agree too. Um, okay, so one last question before the speed round. The mission statement of Restaurant Unstoppable is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. And the way we do that is by making an example of, of people like you. And I do believe that if we transform the restaurant industry, we'll transform the world because of the influence we have. We This industry has touches so many people. Um, how have you transformed since getting into the industry uh, in the, the early 80s to today, to the man you are today? How have you transformed? I've transformed by knowing that nothing lasts forever, that everything is a gift, and uh, you have to appreciate today. I love it. Great stuff. One more quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back to bust out a speed round. What is one of the most overlooked and important marketing tools out there? It's your menu. And honestly, I cannot blame owners for overlooking their menu. It can be super tedious and boring work, let's be honest. Not to mention, it's time-consuming between all the other channels of marketing, i.e. social media, direct mail marketing, and managing your operations and customer relations. Who has the time to dink around with their menu? Not many people, right? So that's why I'm super excited to introduce to you Pop Menu, the restaurant tool to turn more first-time guests into regulars. From the website to the marketing to the contactless ordering, Pop Menu is the full digital solution for your restaurant. Pop Menu also provides a dynamic mobile-friendly menu that hooks your customers from the start. And this is a really cool tool. Diners have the ability to leave dish reviews, which really helps your menu speak for itself. Beyond these engaging features, Pop Menu provides marketing tools to build long-lasting relationships with your guests. For example, you have the power to send automated texts and emails to incentivize new orders or promote new dishes. You can even set up online ordering and delivery direct through Pop Menu. This means less ordering complications and loss commission to third-party apps. We all love that. Frankly speaking, when Pop Menu reached out to me to be a sponsor, I didn't know much about them. We all know my rules that I only promote the tools and services that are recommended on the show. So I had to reach out to my network to get their approval. And I have to tell you, the feedback has been nothing but positive. People really like the menu review feature, the email marketing integration, and the fast and friendly customer support, which cannot be overlooked. For a limited time only, get $100 off your first month, plus you can lock in one unchanging monthly rate. Go to popmenu.com slash unstoppable. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. I started this podcast because I have a passion for serving people in the restaurant industry because they have a passion for bringing people together with the ultimate love language, their cooking. But with all that cooking comes great, giant, greasy piles of pots and pans, and we can't waste our valuable time with endless sink changeovers, so we must upgrade to Don Professional Pot and Pan. Don Professional Pot and Pan cleans 58% more pots and pans than the leading competitor, less dish soap, fewer changeovers, and more time doing what we love, bringing people together with the ultimate love language, food. Not to mention Procter & Gamble Professional also provides a wide range of disinfectants for your business needs. Get the cleaning disinfecting products you need and the peace of mind you deserve. Dom Professional, it's clean, upgraded. We're back and the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Self-discipline. What is your biggest weakness? 
I look at life through rose-colored glasses. Okay, what do you mean by that? I think everybody's good. Everything's going to go well. Optimism. Yeah. Okay. And I want to go back to discipline because I think that's huge. And I'm curious, what do you do to be disciplined? So I eat well. I, I exercise every day. Uh, I have a, a set routine. And um, at work, I have my meetings are always at set times. I do everything according to a schedule and that works for me. Yeah. And it's hard. I mean, I've, I've gotten to that place a few times. I'll admit whenever I move or whenever I reestablish it, it's it, like your, your routine gets up uprooted and it gets hard to get back into it, but it is huge for sure. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team? Do I like this person? Okay. Why is that the question you ask? Because why? if I don't like them, it's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> What's your biggest challenge today? My biggest business challenge is finding enough good people to staff the restaurants. How are you overcoming that? Well, hopefully by being picked as the top uh, workplace, people will see that and they'll say, I want to work for that company. For sure. That's a good strategy. Uh, Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. So this is a core value. I mean, we covered all of your core values or, you know, it's a core value or behavior you teach your team. If I have to do your job, what do I need you for? (laughs) What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is something that is common within the four walls of your four restaurants, but not within the industry throughout the industry. Drink through it. What do you mean by that? I mean, if, you know, if the power goes out at 8 o'clock, turn it into a party. Okay. <laughs> make the, make the, the best out of the worst situation. Right. I love that. Uh, what is one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? You already mentioned Danny Myers at the table. Any other ones? Um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yes. Awesome. Both those books are in Audible, by the way. If you head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. First book is on me, and you're supporting the show, and thank you in advance if you do that. What is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Give back to the community. What is one service you've hired or outsourced to? Food safety and sanitation, food safety and sanitation uh, inspections. Okay, and what's the name of the company? Food safety and sanitation inspections. Okay. <laughs> it's awesome. funny. That, it's a good name, right? Is it regional just to Florida? He, well, he's just in this area right Who's here. Who's he? His name's Scott Berger. Okay. And uh, he has uh, three or four guys that work with him. They come into each restaurant once a month, and they have uh, a report that's similar to the health department report, but it's a lot more detailed. Okay. And um, how has that served you? It's unbelievable. He every visit he trains and develops our managers and chefs on proper food safety and sanitation issues, and um, it it just makes us feel a lot more comfortable that what we're doing is right. Yeah. And when the health inspectors come in here, you know they love it. Yeah. And be sure to uh, check out the show notes. I'll be sure to link to that company. Um, and his name one more time was Scott Berger. Scott. You got a little plug here, I and mean, hopefully we get you some business. And uh, this is the actually almost the last question. What is one piece of technology that you've recently adopted in your restaurants that's had a huge impact on communication, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? 
I don't think we've really uh, brought anything in lately. What's one that's uh, that's been around for a while that's just huge? Um, handheld devices. Okay. And who are you using? Well, the servers are using it for uh, taking orders, especially but, if they're far away from the kitchen. And that's with, uh, what's your POS? It looks like. Spot on. Spot on. Okay. Beautiful. Um, this is the last question. You ready for it? If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? That's a tough one. Life is short. That's Enjoy one. it. Yeah. You uh, dropped a lot on us today. Yeah. I start, I, uh, take a, care of your people is one that I would oh, say. Oh, your business-wise, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean treat people the way you would what we've wanted to be treated and Golden rule. and be honest be honest Bert this has been a great conversation thank you so much for taking the time to join me today uh, we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out that's how I found you uh, Von Dugan called you out thank you so much Von I'm happy you did this was a great conversation who do you respect and admire in the industry and believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today I think you're Listeners would enjoy hearing from Doug Zeif. Doug Zeif. Look out, Doug. What's, Doug. what's Doug's story? I met Doug. He was a manager when we first opened Raffles back in 1980. Okay. Worked for some different companies uh, along the way until he was the uh, opening general manager of the first Cheesecake Factory. Oh, wow. And uh, helped build Cheesecake Factory up to what it is. Uh, he left Cheesecake and um, was... I think the uh, director of food and beverages for, uh, was it Hyatt or Waldorf or something like that? And now he's a consultant. All right, Doug, look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And how can we connect with you if we've resonated with your episode uh, and we want to, you know, maybe come join your team or get whatever consulting or whatever? What's the best way to connect? To me? Yeah. My phone number is 561-289-1959. All right. And I'll put this information in the show notes. Um, all right. This has been a great chat, Bert. Thank you so much. Uh, I just can't say thank you enough. There is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. Thank you. Cheers. We'll cut it there. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Bert Rappaport. Um, what I loved about this story is just the, 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 the sheer honesty and humility of the ups and downs this guy's had in his career. I mean, he was on top of the world. He he didn't hold back. He told us exactly what he did wrong and why he was able to climb, climb the ladder and then fall all the way down. Uh, but he got back up and he, he learned from his experiences. And I hope you guys picked up on these lessons that came out of today's chat. Awesome stuff today. Thank you so much, Bert, for coming on the show. And guys, we have a lot of cool things happening in the network. But today I want to make sure you are aware that this week we pop off the how to of prime cost and high profit one-on-one live course with Rudy Mick. This is going to be a six week long course starting this Wednesday, May 19th at 1 p.m. And it will be held every Wednesday thereafter for six weeks at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, this is going to be about an hour to an hour and a half. Uh, This is going to be kind of a deeper dive into the workshop I did with Rudy Mick. We had so much 
success with that workshop, people within the network coming to us and saying, hey, we implemented these practices that Rudy mentioned during this workshop. And just through the workshop, we were able to increase our profits by 4%. So we wanted to lean into this and we're going to go step by step slowly live. Right now we have eight people that are going to be joining us live in this course and it's going to be intimate. It's going to be step by step. You're going to get access to Rudy and access to everybody who's in that course. There's going to be a forum involved, a a whole private section within the network where you can connect with other people implementing these best practices for costing and profit. Uh, And it's going to be high touch, impactful. I want you guys to be a part of this. You still have time. We have three days left until this course pops off. So you still have plenty of time to get signed up. So here's what you got to do. Head over to restaurant unstoppable network.com. And when you get registered within the network, head over to the courses tab and then sign up for the course. Uh, it's that simple. And I cannot wait to meet you. Uh, you also get access to me, a one-on-one 30 minute chat uh, with me when you join the network and you get all the benefits of the network when you purchase this course. So we'll see you there. Can't wait until next time. Peace out.